cool to think that, you know, these are the original fish that were here before man had much of an impact. I wanted to take that concept and take it to retail. We essentially give 2% of every purchase back to a different conservation-based nonprofit every quarter. We, we contacted my daughter's teacher and asked, you know, would they be interested in seeing this heart? Because I had this giant heart from this bull elk. Technology has actually come far enough now that they actually just discovered another lineage that they thought had gone extinct. It's such a different country. You know, I spend so much time chasing deer and elk that it's, I guess, refreshing is the best word I can just use to describe it because it's just different country. This is Eric Myrie from Basin and Bend, and you're listening to the Wild Initiative Podcast. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. I've been blessed to harvest 22 of the 29 North American animals with my bow. My personal 24-hour record for death threats is 88. They will start putting two and two together and realize this is how you call bulls in. So when I go hunting now, that's the ethos I take with me. You know, whatever, whatever this hunt is going to throw at you, you pull your big girl pants up and you get on with it. Giant bucks are freaking awesome. They're beautiful. But you know what? I would not trade this first puck for anything in the world. So I'm really, I'm a geek. Magicians and dragons and magic swords. <laughs> I shit you not, man. I'm the biggest dork in the gun business. I'm Freddie Hartice, Hollywood Hunter. This is Aaron Snyder. Hey, this is Trevin Stoltzfus with Outback Outdoors. This is Rihanna Carey. Hi, this is John Sloan of the Interviews with the Haunting Masters. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, We make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, y'all, so getting on to today's episode. I am out here in Colorado. I have been wandering around like a homeless person for a couple of weeks now, and I made my way up to the little mountain town, the picturesque mountain town of Blackhawk, Colorado. I am here with the one and only Eric Myrie of Basin and Bend. We uh, just finished up a little short, I guess, half day on, uh, where, where were we? That was actually South Boulder Creek. South Boulder Creek. Okay, because I had no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, it came up, uh, came up to just say hello and uh, do a little podcasting, uh, do a little fishing, and it was a good day. We finished, we finished up my, uh, ex- my three-day weekend slam is what I'm, what I'm referring to it as. Exactly. I guess. So the slam, technically what? You have to catch uh, all four species of trout in one day, right? Technically, yes. So, so I was going for I went I was going for the slam. Didn't manage to get the slam. So then we were going for the weekend slam, which is totally a thing, uh, and and that didn't quite work out. But but it's Monday, and ex- it could be an extended weekend if right. it was done on a holiday. So I'm counting. I'm calling this the extended weekend slam. While you're in the borders of Colorado, you made it happen. So there we go. There you go. There we go. I think it counts. Either way. It was awesome. It was really fun. And again, you know, as, as my friend Katie, a fish and tame puts it, you know, you guys here in Colorado really put me on the monster fish is, is what it comes down to. <laughs> I, uh, I genuinely think like the, the two yesterday at the time were the smallest fish I'd ever caught. 
I, I genuinely do not think, short of like scooping one out of a fish tank in a pet store, <laughs> right. do not think I've caught anything smaller. Uh, which, I mean, was still cool because it was the first uh, cutthroat I'd ever caught in Colorado State Fish, which was awesome. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, really excited. That was the one thing I really wanted to catch a cutthroat while I was up here. And I got my first brown trout as well. Um, I'd caught, I've caught rainbows before, mm-hmm. you know, fishing. And um, then... Uh, yeah, f- smallest fish until today. <laughs> they seem to keep getting smaller too. So and hell yeah, it was like progressively tinier <laughs> and tinier. Uh, and was it? I it wasn't the. I don't think it. I think it was an, a brown that was that really teeny, the one that almost looked like a sardine. Yep. Or was that? Or was that the uh, brookie? The the brookie the brookie definitely yeah the the fly was almost bigger than the fish was. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 you could have you could have compared them side by side, and it would have been a pretty close race but uh yeah i think it was the brookie that was was the smallest but uh you know it it was colorful we'll say that it was (laughs) and to be completely honest like i'd almost rather you know unless i'm catching something like a giant like just a really big fish i'd almost rather catch something so ridiculously small it's entertaining it's like those fish in the middle it's like okay cool you know i got a fish right but like i don't I don't, I, I kind of want to catch both ends of, I'd, I'm always on both ends of the spectrum. I'm a man of extremes. It's a different level of challenge to try to catch a fish that's so small that it literally can barely even get the fly in its mouth. So that, there, there's something to be said about that. <laughs> I mean, that thing, I don't think it could have legitimately closed its mouth <laughs> around that fly. No. Was, <laughs> hopefully I'll have posted the picture by then right. uh, on Instagram or something. But So if, I've, I, if you guys are listening to this and I have posted a picture of a what looks like a sardine <laughs> with a giant fly in its mouth that is that is my first brook trout um so what is so what is the what does the slam consist of so you know in in colorado we basically have the the four main species so we have cutthroat trout and there's there's subspecies within the cutthroat family uh, but you know our our state our official state fish is the greenback cutthroat trout which for the most part um you know anybody that's kind of been following the history of the the state fish over the past 20 years or so uh there was a little bit of a dispute because uh, back in the day we actually um just identified some of those subspecies by their look you know how they kind of looked when you would compare two different ranges you could see that there was a little bit of difference but you couldn't necessarily scientifically prove that they were uh, of different lineages and all that so a lot of people are looking for the cutthroat trout but the, the greenback cutthroat trout but until recently there actually weren't true uh greenbacks on the landscape they were thought to be extinct and the ones that were out there were typically some type of hybrid usually a colorado river cutthroat uh, that may have had some greenback uh, genetics in it but until uh just the past couple of years, actually based on a bend has been uh, involved in uh, putting some of the true uh, genetically, you know, as, as pure as we can get them that we've found uh, in Colorado back on the landscape in a few different ranges across Colorado. Um, so that subspecies, the greenback, is what is actually our true official state fish. But that, like I said, that's just one of the cutthroat species. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the slam would um, be your uh, brown trout, uh, your rainbow trout, and then the brook trout. All three of those are actually introduced species to Colorado. Okay. So those were those were brought here by the hand of man. And, you know, have, have kind of evolved into some of the different watersheds and all that but that that greenback uh and the colorado river cutthroat were the ones that uh were in most of the drainages here in colorado as well as the rio grande and a few too so so tell me a little bit more you mentioned that uh you know basin and bend is involved in effectively kind of repopulating the greenback cutthroats Mm -hmm. as pure as as you can find as right possible tell me a little bit more about that so it's actually a it's a super interesting story so like i said the the greenback was thought to be extinct and i I don't i don't remember the exact year off the top of my head but they essentially discovered a remnant population down in bear creek uh and there's there's a few different bear creeks here in colorado but it's the one that's down uh kind of near the now i'm gonna forget the mountain name uh (laughs) down by pike's peak okay uh, it's down down off off of pike's peak down there and literally there's only a few hundred fish that what 
what was so interesting about it is, like I said, they thought they had found they, they thought we had greenback here until that point, which was native to the South Platte drainage. So most of these most of these drainages that come down on the east side of the Continental Divide into the Front Range eventually drain into the South Platte drainage, and so that that greenback was a native to that particular drainage, and so they thought they they had found them, and so they they started stocking some of these different. Uh, what they thought was the greenback into a lot of the high alpine lakes, a lot of the lakes up in Rocky Mountain National Park, and so on. But as technology evolved and science evolved, they were actually able to compare the essentially the genetics or the DNA of those fish, this little population that they found mm-hmm. um, down by Pikes Peak, uh, with an old uh, remnant, basically a sample that had been taken, you know, in the early 1900s, late oh, wow. 1800s, that was actually in the Smithsonian Institute. And they were able to... to so like that, legitimately that old, a sample is still, still chilling around and it's still viable. Still viable, yeah, in the Smithsonian. And like, and that's what I was saying, you know, with, with the way that the science has progressed and, and the technology, they were able, actually able to take a sample from those, those new fish that they found in this little creek with that old sample and we're able to determine, yes, these are actually genetically the same. And this is actually the lineage of that, of that original fish that was here. It hasn't been compromised with, you know, crossbreeding with other, other, um, species and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, so a, a project was launched essentially to try to, you know, reclaim those fish and bring them into the hatchery system so that we could, you know, fully populate that, that lineage out and then start putting it back on the landscape. So, like I said, it's it's an ongoing activity that's been going on with uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. You know, Trout Unlimited is very involved in that. Um, even the you know the Fish and Wildlife Service. So, a lot of these different organizations are are active in that, but they rely on volunteers a lot to actually help get the fish up in the drainages because it, it requires a lot of manpower. Yeah. Um, the most recent one we did was up in Poudre Canyon, um, <laughs> but we've done other other ones throughout Colorado as well. But we literally, you know, I think they had like 50 volunteers showed up. Uh, we all had backpacks and we literally had a, a, a truck arrive from the hatchery that had the pure green, greenback cutthroat in it. Uh, we each carried about a, I don't know, maybe a five gallon bag of water that was then filled up with air, you know, so a little, mm-hmm. just enough water to get about a dozen fish in it, fill the rest of it up with air, put it in the pack and then up the mountain we went. It's like a giant, it, like, you know, when you go to the, the pet store and you get the, the, big, <laughs> right. the big bag. So it's like a giant it version totally of that. Yep. I, lo- I love it. It absolutely is. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's kind of the first step. You know, I mean, they, CPW goes through a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of studies, a lot of scientific research and things like that to figure out ranges that have a, a good uh, habitat, you know, so these fish have a good good opportunity to survive. They have to go in and make sure all the non-native fish are out of there. So if there are brook trout in there, mm-hmm. if there are, you know, maybe mixed breed um, cutthroat trout in there that need to be removed, they'll go in and do that and basically prepare the drainage for these, these pure fish. A lot of times it also requires some type of barrier, uh, fish passage barrier at the bottom of the drainage. So keep fish can't come up, up from the... other drainages and things like that from another river or something and, and move up in there mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, you know, spoil that population, if you will. So, uh, yeah, it's involved and it's, it's, you know, ultimately it's quite a bit of money to, to, yeah. When you think about it, you're just putting fish in, in another, a little creek or, you know, a little river or whatever. So, uh, but it's cool to think that, you know, these are the original fish that were here uh, before, you know, man had much of an impact uh, as we did, you know, when we started migrating west and all that. So, so how about how long ago was this that you guys did this? The most recent one was, I believe, in mid-July uh, okay. in the Pooter. But like I said, we've done I've I've done it uh, multiple years. There, there's a drainage up uh, kind of near the Eisenhower Tunnel uh, that uh, Herman Gulch up there has a population that's been established there as well. Um, and that one has gone through multiple years worth of stockings. And, you know. So this has been going, you've been doing this for yes. several years yep. then. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Uh, like how many, I mean, just if you had to just throw out a guess, like how many, like over the years you've been doing this, how many of these greenback cutthroats would you say you've been part of the i mean restocking? i've probably been part of uh, maybe half a dozen something like that uh you know and, there's and i mean more... you're dropping like a, a 
each person and and is dropping like you're what you're saying like five to twelve or something like that. Yeah, it's usually twelve to fifteen fish. Oh, that um, many? Okay. Yeah, I guess in a five pound bag. But it, yeah. de- it depends on what age class of the fish that they are that they're putting in there. Mm-hmm. You know, so this last one they were actually a little bit larger fingerling fingerling that went in okay. there so you know they're they're at a, a further development stage it's kind of funny you know i it, like you say that and at first i picture like you know like big old full size and i'm like man like 15 i'm like no they, of course not <laughs> right, like, no. <laughs> no they're just small small little folks that yeah kind of like what some might catch <laughs> right right they, yeah they'd be right up your alley but no it's it's a it's a cool cool project to be a part of mm-hmm. and you know it was really neat for for my daughter to be involved in that that last one you know because we come back a decade from now and you know we go into that drainage and and now you know we're going to have these pure fish in there and we can go up and enjoy that experience and go back and see them so it's kind of neat that's really exciting and and so there you have been seeing results though like you've been seeing these populations grow and yep they're um, starting you know and that that one in herman gulch that's uh that's one that, like I said, they've they've done multiple stockings because they they weren't getting you know the the take rate, if you will, in the creek as much as they wanted. They wanted more surviving over the winter and stuff yeah. like that. So they they kept putting more in there just to to get the population kind of kickstarted mm-hmm. to get going. So if there was if like say somebody was listening, they're local, fairly local to call you know here in Colorado, when they wanted to get involved in something mm-hmm. like this, what? Uh, reach out to you reach out yeah, to i mean that's that's and- one thing we we focus on quite a bit you know we try to stay active in a lot of the different conservation organizations and, and their activities but yeah trout unlimited would be a really good place to start if they're not a member um they can contact any there's a lot of local chapters especially here in colorado but across the west um well, i guess even across the country uh there's local chapters just about everywhere that they could get involved uh but yeah if they were here in the west there's there's volunteer coordinators that you know send out emails and, and keep people abreast of what's going on so pretty easy to get involved if you're willing to that's awesome that's really cool i didn't know i mean i kind of knew a little bit about the history of them you know i knew that that they uh they were thought to be extinct and Mm -hmm. and then you know people found it but i didn't know about all the the restocking initiatives and yeah that's that's really really cool it's interesting because that that technology has actually come far enough now that they actually just discovered another lineage that they thought had gone extinct and they're actually able to prove that it's a separate a separate subspecies the I may may misspeak here, but I believe they're referring to it as the San Juan uh, cutthroat trout. So okay. now we've got a new species that, as soon as they discovered it, there was a fire that was bearing down on that valley. So they actually had to send in um, people to get those fish out of there before that fire came through. And they they did end up saving a bunch of them and getting in, getting them into the hatchery system to wow. you know kind of propagate the numbers. And uh, I believe this last summer they just started. Uh, putting some of them back into the original watershed uh, now that, that that fire had gone through and, and the you know soil had stabilized and things like that a little bit. So That's wild. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's it's pretty bizarre. Because I mean, <laughs> we, we actually, there's another, there was another subspecies uh, up outside of Leadville that was kind of, from what I understand, was a little bit similar to the Lahotan out in Nevada, you know, where it had the the ability to get really, really large. Okay. Um, so it'd be cool to, to see if they ever found remnants of that one here in Colorado as well. That's it, it, the fact, and the fact we have that technology now, and we can, it just it blows it blows me away. Yep. You know, and it's uh, it's 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 so cool to me, uh, and. I'm assuming a lot of the the funds for this comes from Pittman. No, uh, Dingle Johnson. That's, Dingle Johnson would be that's, on the, that's on the, the, one on the, the fishing the side. The fishing yep. side. Yep. I was like, no, that's not. That's, that's <laughs> the hunting one. Um, so it, I'm assuming that comes through uh, through federal funding, goes to the mm-hmm. states, and they can. Yep. That's really cool. They can cool. apply for those. Yep. Yep. For those funds, and then you know, it's it's literally up to millions of dollars you know i mean it's it's some serious money so it's it's yeah. a good program so uh one thing uh we kind of just got right into it but i i usually start with is uh a little bit of an introduction just about yourself and um you know what you do and how who introduced you how'd you get into hunting and fishing and yeah. the outdoors all of this stuff yeah i mean that's i i was lucky um 
so I actually grew up, you know, within a five-minute bike ride as a child uh, from the Mississippi River uh, in Wisconsin. And I spent my every waking moment of my summers literally down playing in the water, you know, chasing panfish and sunnies and bass and pike and stuff like that. Uh, and then it uh, just happened to be that my, my dad and my uncles were pretty avid hunters as well. So I, you know, from age 12 on, I was always out hunting as well. Uh, so I just kind of grew up around it. You know, just our, our entire family was an outdoor-based family. So I had that instilled in me at a, at a young age. And uh, I kind of became enamored with the West, uh, well, I guess after high school. Finished up college back in the Midwest, but, but moved out West pretty much immediately after out here to Colorado. And uh, actually didn't, didn't do much of the fly fishing until I, until I moved out here. Even though I, I lived in one of the, the best areas in, you know, they call it the Driftless area. They're kind of the, those three corners of Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Uh, there's there's a lot of really good fly fishing up there and, and trout fishing. Um, it wasn't until I came out here, I had a, a coworker that literally one day on a, on a lunch break had a had a a coworker take me out to Boulder Creek, which was kind of the next drainage up from where we were today, yeah. and ended up catching my first uh, trout. And at that point, I couldn't even tell you what type of trout it was. I just I knew it was a trout, but couldn't tell if it was a brown or a rainbow. Uh, but yeah, ended up catching it during my, our lunch break. And that just kind of totally sealed the deal. And I just kept getting further and further into it. And, and just, you know, given my my childhood history and, and all that, uh, it's just what I kind of wanted to be. I'd come from the technology industry um, and had been in that for quite a while after I moved out here to Colorado, but uh, eventually moved into the outdoor industry and, and ultimately started my own business, which is based in a bend. And, uh, you know, now it's a fly fishing and, and hunting retail operation um, that basically focuses on, you know, more than more than just uh, the retail aspect of it. You know, you were kind of mentioning the, the Pittman Robertson and the Dingle Johnson. And basically I wanted to take that concept and, take it to retail so we essentially give two percent of every purchase back to a different conservation uh based nonprofit every quarter and we usually switch that up on a quarterly basis and work with a a specific project that uh that money can be kind of earmarked for that way we help you know not only not only provide some funding for the the conservation organization but also you know, I, I see it as all, almost becoming a bit of a uh, marketing arm for those conservation organizations, you know, because I'm I'm constantly trying to introduce people to these different organizations, but keep people, uh, you know, abreast of what's going on with the organizations. I think they're always really good about trying to get funds from donors and, and that type of thing, but keeping people informed of what is actually happening after the fact, you know, what happens after a project actually gets greenlighted and, and you know, three, four years down the road, what's going on, you know, with this habitat restoration mm -hmm. or this public land, uh, you know, purchase or something along those lines. So that's kind of our, our goal is to, to use the, the retail model to help fund conservation. See, that's, I think that's such a, an important thing and, and something people forget, you know, we talk a lot about, we do talk a lot about like the, the funds, you know, Oh, you know, hunting is conservation, fishing is conservation, the whole the whole thing we talk about the the funds from our purchases from our licenses uh -huh. from all that stuff but we really don't talk that much about the private donations too from companies that are donating sure. a portion of every purchase from memberships to conservation organizations from just straight up donations people make because they want to support these projects right and it's i mean you know it, Pittman Robertson and Dingle Johnson is what over like 1.3 billion or something this last year. It's, yeah, it, it adds up to a lot. I'd be, I mean, I don't know if it's even possible with like all the insane amounts of conservation organizations out there, but I'd be interested just to know like what over and above that. I don't know if anybody's ever done the research. That's but a good point. Yeah, like over and above that. What do because and that's the other thing is because you know the people that are members of those organizations they're hunters they're anglers uh -huh. it's not that's not like the the people that just happen to buy something or whatever right. like this is direct money from hunters and anglers i would be really curious to know and if anybody listening 
has an article or has numbers. I would love to hear that about just even the, I mean, the national organizations, Mm -hmm. but eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including calorie smart protein plus, which is the one I like and keto get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's Waypoint Pod 50 at factormeals.com slash Waypoint Pod 50 to get 50% off. So, uh, so you're not only an angler, but you're a hunter as well. And Absolutely. you just got off a pretty intense pronghorn <laughs> hunt. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty epic from how you were describing it to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was funny because. Before that, you know, coming off archery season, I'd spent, I think I was out there, I did 13 days of of actual hunting and that was such an intense hunt and, you know, kind of everything you'd expect archery elk hunting to be. And then to go to to pronghorn, which is a very much more social and laid back hunt that, yeah, (laughs) I I had an opportunity to to harvest a, a doe yesterday that, you know, I spent more time um, actually in the car driving back and forth out to the Eastern plains <laughs> than I did during the actual hunt. But, uh, you know, it, it just happened to be that had a, was in a good spot. Uh, had a, had a good chunk of land and just rolled up to the right, the right little wash and, and saw some, some antelope coming up the hill. And so I snuck back down into the drainage and, and got down below them so they couldn't see me and snuck around and ended up, they came right down the little little drainage wash right to me at 75 yards which you know normally when people think about rifle pronghorn hunting it's usually not less than a a three-digit number that you're shooting you know for the most part uh so to have her come into 75 yards and just stand there perfectly broadside and and a nice clean kill and and um you know a quick harvest it was it was refreshing (laughs) (laughs) well it was so funny because you know i i I had messaged you and yeah, you know, we'd been talking back and yeah. forth for the week past week or so. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's find a time to, to sync up and record a podcast. And I'd message you and you're like, Oh, uh, and funny enough, you messaged me like an hour after I messaged you like, sorry, it took so long to get back to you. I'm like, <laughs> and but you're like yeah i was just pulling a prong i was just pulling out a pronghorn i'm like wait what <laughs> weren't you just i'm so confused right now <laughs> right. I thought you just got back from a hunt <laughs> yeah yeah it was uh it i hadn't even planned on going going pronghorn hunting that day but uh i got got the call that uh you know I'd, i had some some friends that were out there and they were having pretty good success uh with their tags and so they they uh invited me to come out to that property and yeah it was it was nice. It was not not the most difficult hunt, but it's still it's it's such a different anybody that's pronghorn hunted before too, it's it's such a different country. You know, we're we're so I spend so much time chasing deer and elk that it's it's really and I guess refreshing is the best word I can just mm-hmm. use to describe it because it's just different country, but it still has its own unique challenges and, and it's it's just different, but it's it's still fun in its own way so yeah well and i feel like especially after like and i know it, it was tough in arizona and i from everything i heard from folks in colorado the rut was really tough up here mm-hmm. too and i think just how warm it's been and how dry it's been too but um after a hunt like that where you just you've busted your ass like you have killed yourself to get that hunt done sometimes it's nice to just go grocery shopping. <laughs> Absolutely, you know? yeah. And it's, uh, I was, I was kind of thinking about doing that on my way up. I was looking at, I was like, I was looking at doe tags and cow tags, like in kind of some more densely populated areas. Right. And I'm like, what could I do on the way up? Just throw a little bit more in the freezer, you yeah. know, on the way. And, um, I keep getting distracted by fly fishing. Gosh, <laughs> man. That's always my dilemma. Every September and October, that is <laughs> every year. It's, you know, I, I, 
I have such a limited time to hunt, you know, that I, I always put that first, but I know I'm always missing out on excellent fishing as well because, you know, the water's low and clear. You get these beautiful bluebird days here in Colorado. And so, yeah, I always, I always know that I'm, I'm foregoing <laughs> one fun activity for the other. So it's a tough life to live. <laughs> right. <sighs> We're so oppressed. So much pity. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's just motivation to work harder, fill your tag that much faster. Right. Right. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's, it's really an amazing thing. And I've, I've kind of realized it this year, you know, it's having the opportunity to having so many choices and literally struggling to decide Mm -hmm. what amazing outdoor activity are you going to do? How, like, how amazing is it that we have this opportunity? It's incredible. I mean, especially in Colorado, you know, if (laughs) all the tags that I have available to me right now is stunning. I've got, I literally have, you know, I've, I filled the one pronghorn tag now, but I still have a, I still have two tags for next weekend. I have another buck tag in another unit, another buck pronghorn, and I've got an elk tag as well for first season rifle. So it's, and, and then I've got, I still have a, a mule deer buck tag and a mule deer late doe tag. So I, I don't have that much freezer space. You know, so I, so I have to be a little bit you know, cognizant of, of how much meat I'm harvesting, but you know, it's fun. Cause you've got friends and family that they always welcome taking some, some wild game. And, yeah. um, so it's, it's, it, there's always somebody that's going to take it. But. Well, I mean, that's like the, the, you know, kind of the oldest saying in the book. And I talked about, I've talked about it a lot. And I think Shane Mahoney, like has as is like known for talking about this is the whole idea of, you know, you wouldn't like go to your neighbor and be like, I went to the grocer and bought you this ribeye. Take it with <laughs> right. my blessings. Like they look at you like you're crazy and then probably throw it out because they thought you poisoned it or like <laughs> right. an insane serial killer or something. But Absolutely. you walk up, you walk up to your neighbor and be like, "Hey, man, you know, uh, I hunted this pronghorn. I made some jerky, or you know, I I, I have this like these sausages or whatever yep. it is. You know, whatever you make." People are like, this is awesome. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, yeah. And, and even people that are like skeptical of wild game, they kind of get a little bit excited, I feel like. They're like, okay, yeah, I've never had something like this. I'll right. give it a try. And I was, uh, I just, again, I finished my hunt and I've got some friends over in Erie. Mm-hmm. And uh, old, old friends, uh, you know, he's known me probably since I was like 12 or 13. And, you know, I kind of met her through him a few years later. And, um, I haven't seen him in prior. I mean, what has to be like 10, 12 years and, um, came up and I'm, and I got here earlier than I expected. So I'm like, I'm going to go spend time with, with my old friends. And we hung out and I pulled out some of the, the elk brats that I just had made. And we, nice. Oh, I swear we left them in the smoker for two hours. Like we did it. We did them right. Yep. And, uh, they were just, they were just crack. They were gold. And, <laughs> um, and so we had a, we had one or two left over, uh, and we ended up uh, talking, just hanging out like the neighbors were outside. So we're talking with the neighbors and they saw the big old, you know, elk racks. I mean, mm-hmm. the, I say big old elk rack com- compared to not having anything sticking out <laughs> of the back of your truck. The, the small old elk rack sticking out of the back of my truck. Um, and, they're like, oh, and they wanted to know about it. And um, then we and one of the one of the guys is a, does traditional archery. He doesn't hunt, okay. but does traditional archery and he, he's a, an angler. And so we start talking about that and this and that, you know, wild game and, and get into it. I'm like, I got a couple extra sausages in there. <laughs> and so I, I kind of chopped them up and the, all the neighbors were, were munching on them. And That's like, cool. even the kids were trying them. Yep. And you know, of course with the kids, you kind of got to be like, Oh, Hey, have a bite of this. You're like, you know what that is? <laughs> <laughs> and, and watching the look on their face too, mm-hmm. when you're like, that thing was like walking walking around and talking. I mean, like bugling. Right. A week and a half ago. Yep. And they're like, whoa. Well, that's, it was, it was really neat. We had a cool opportunity with uh, my daughter doing remote learning. You know, I had, I, the, the elk heart or the heart of an animal is usually the first thing that we eat now. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've come to absolutely love that. Literally, I'll eat that before a tenderloin, before the, the backstrap, uh, a heart, especially of an elk heart, you know, where it's, it's large enough is, is priority number one for us. And so when I came back, from that elk hunt, we, we contacted my daughter's 
teacher and asked, you know, would they be interested in seeing this heart? Because I had this giant heart you oh, know, yeah. from this bull elk. And sure enough, she thought it was a great idea. You know, we, we got on this Zoom call uh, with my daughter, with her class, uh, some of them that were doing the, the in-person learning. And uh, she got to, you know, kind of explain, you know, how I hunted it and, and got to show, you know, hold it. And I mean, it, it was a, a bull. Yeah. A bull's heart is not a small. Or, I mean, that's like it's a, a two-handed. A yeah. And, and how old, uh, how old is she? she in? She's eight. Eight. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's as so big as like her head. Second, third grade? <laughs> uh, second grade, yeah. Second grade. Yep. So just to, for her to be able to share that and then to, for her to explain that, you know, I'm going to eat this tonight. You know, my dad just got this over the weekend mm-hmm. and I, we're going to eat this tonight. We're, we're going to cut this up and, and this is going to become our meal. And uh, it was kind of neat for her to, to share that experience with her, with her fellow students. And, yeah. and like you said, it's, there's something about the wild game that definitely brings people together. Um, you know, I know we already like this, even this pronghorn, uh, we already have plans to, cook up the backstrap in a, a certain recipe that we use with some of our friends because we've talked this this recipe up so much that okay. it's such a such a good way to repair it that we're like all right we're, we're gonna have a, a special night and we're gonna cook up this backstrap for everybody so so now you can't like pull that out and not share the <laughs> recipe you can't you can't be like mouth is it like a secret family it's recipe not, no, or is it like something you can it's not a secret recipe at all it's um at least give us the basics here. Uh, so it's essentially you you kind of butterfly cut the backstrap. So so you almost cut it out. You know, it's typically kind of a roll almost. You know, kind of a round shape with a mm-hmm. backstrap. You basically butterfly cut it so it it lays out flat, so you can roll it back up with stuff in it. Um, I got I actually if you do a search on YouTube for Fred Eichler. Uh, it okay. was, it was his wife that did a, a YouTube video quite a few years ago, uh, that I originally found it and I believe it's still out there, but you, you basically, you cut that meat so you can, you can stuff it. You put, uh, is it Bourdain cheese? I think something along those lines. Okay. It's kind okay. of a, a real, you know, almost not quite a goat cheese, but something along those lines. Uh, and then, you know, some, uh, Montreal seasoning, steak seasoning in it, and then some roasted peppers and onions. And then you basically roll it all back up and then just roast it on the grill, you know, until it's okay. done to your desired temperature. And uh, then you just kind of slice it into almost like pinwheels. You know, if you think of those like ham pinwheels from yeah. a kid, that's kind of what it looks like when it's done, but it's it's absolutely beautiful. That's funny. Like, so I was, uh, when I got my elk processed, I, I took it the processor because I'm like, I'm going to be on the road for like the next month. Right. I don't want to just be carrying around these cores. I want to be able to eat some of this. Yep. So, uh, took it to the processor and he was talking about, uh, what he does. I had him, I had him do, uh, one of the back straps was roast. The other one just the steaks. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, he has a re- very similar roast recipe where he butterflies it twice. Okay. And I, th- I can't remember everything he uses. I'm going to, I will, uh, have like a note to remind myself when I'm home to call him up and be like, okay, I need the yeah, um, the specifics. And he like, I get, he calls them like backstrap cinnamon rolls, even though you know, okay. they're not cinnamon rolls, but they kind of have, like you said, that same yeah. kind of circular thing. And he's like, it's like cream cheese and this and that, right. and they're bacon wrapped and like the whole, the whole thing. And they're like the most, they, it's the most decadent sounding. <laughs> Definitely. And it's, and it's one of those things I feel like you, you look at it, you're like, oh, I could eat a ton of that. And you take, you have like two slices and you're like, dear Lord, <laughs> yeah. I'm so full right now. I don't know what to do. Absolutely. No, that's, that is, you know, there's all these different aspects about hunting and it, it, it means so many different things for so many people, but that is a whole nother aspect of it, of just what you can do with the meat after you, after you've harvested it and mm-hmm. how you can share it during special occasions. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's great. And I mean, I'm the last person to be like, oh, yes, I'm just a meat hunter. I, uh, you know, I'm like, no, like, you know, again, there's so many. And again, it's too many, too many reasons to count. Everyone has their own individual reasons, their own insights, their own background, their own history, why they hunt, their relationship with it, what it means to them. It's so insanely individual, you know. And, uh, you know, we try and kind of dominate. It's like, oh, it's the adventure. It's the meat. It's this, that, the other. And. You know, I mean, there's excitement. You know, it's, we we almost want to shy away from being like, it's fun. Right. Like, even aside, it's just like being out there pitting yourself against something. It's exciting and it's fun because, you know, we want to present the narrative in a good way. Sure. And don't want to turn people off. And I, I mean, I just wrote a whole article about that, but it's, 
you know, we we don't want to sound like bloodthirsty, crazed killers or something like that. But right. it's fun. But it, there's nothing I've come to realize, and I I never thought I would be this person. I thought I would always love the food, but I never thought like I never realized how much it actually would mean to me mm-hmm. to win. You know, like it's Christmas dinner. Like I did backstrap. I did uh, whitetail backstrap. Okay. Uh, I actually didn't harvest this whitetail. I uh, I didn't see any bucks coming through, and so I didn't. Uh, I wasn't able to. I didn't take anything because um, I also didn't know much about whitetail hunting, and that you could shoot a doe and a buck would still come in. <laughs> <laughs> Live and learn. But um, but I've done that. I've done a lot of stuff with the family. But you know, for Christmas dinner, it's I pro I I processed the whole deer myself i did all of this i cooked it um and we do uh one of my favorite things to do with backstrap it's like a combo of a couple recipes i use uh jeremiah dowdy from field to plate Hmm. i use his super juice recipe i'll marinate them overnight okay and then uh, drop in the sous vide for like six hours and it's you know i mean you already got the backstrap this thing's already like ready to fall apart right you put that thing in the sous vide for six hours it's almost like it's the texture of a roast almost. So yeah. you pop it out, just sear it on both sides, use the drippings with like some garlic and some cream, make a, make like a nice little sauce, sure. drizzle it over the top. And, uh, this stuff is just, I mean, it's just crack. Like and it, <laughs> it falls apart like a roast almost, but it's the richest, like okay. just heartiest meal you've ever had. And sounds great. Like you're sitting there and I just take a moment sometimes and I sit back and it's like nothing, it's nothing out of the blue. It's like any meal with the family. Everyone's laughing and joking and smiling. Mm-hmm. But there's that internal moment where you look at that and you're like, I was responsible for this. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I had from start to finish, I took part in this. And there are few things in this world that brings me that much joy than having my whole family together. You know, uh, like my nephews, my folks, my my brother and my sister, and they're, you know, my brother and sister-in-laws, and, like, everyone together and seeing that, like, it, like I'm getting a little choked up thinking about it right sure, now. Sure like, yeah. It's probably the fact that I've had a beer and a half, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to blame it on that. Um, <clears throat> it's, oh, something's got allergies in here, man. <laughs> it's the smoke. Uh, I'm, I'm allergic. Yeah, it's the smoke. Damn, Colorado's on fire. California's on fire. <laughs> But yeah, there's very few things in this world that bring me more joy than that. And I never expected it. Yep. Never, ever in a million years would have called that part of it out. Mm-hmm. No, it's, there's something definitely special about sharing it with others that, like you said, you, you know what went into it and, and to even try to briefly explain, you know, what, what it took to get that animal to that table. Um, you know, whether they're hunters or non-hunters, it's, it's always, need to share even a little bit of the experience with them so yeah and i mean it's like and it just tastes damn good it's sure like, <laughs> yeah. there's you know i always i always have this argument with people the whole the, the whole term gamey i i love it and i hate it i mean because it has such a negative connotation uh-huh. I, I try and avoid using it but it's like you know it's like somebody going in and buying a a beef uh, you know, like used to eating beef steak, then they go buy a pork chop and be and treat it exactly like a beef True, steak. Expect yeah. it to taste exactly the same. That's a great, a great comparison. Yeah, I mean that's that's great. I'm like, it's a freaking animal. Yep. Why would you expect it to taste exactly the same just because it kind of looks the same? Right. Um. No, it's a great point. And I'm like, okay, and you know, people are like, oh, well, you have to cook it to cover up the taste. I'm like, well, okay, yeah, you have to cook pork to cover up the taste or you cook it to complement it like what's the what's the difference in anything you cook unless you're just expecting it yeah to be a cow mm-hmm. but uh I, I, I could go on and rant about that but i will choose not to <laughs> <laughs> after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers if we've learned anything it's that there's always a catch so when i heard that mint mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. 
That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So, man, uh, say uh, say somebody comes into the shop here. You know, it's a, uh-huh. it's a touristy town. You know, they say somebody's walking by there in the outdoors. They come in, and they're like, oh, what's this place? And you're showing them around. Like, you know, man, really like what you got going on here. I love, I've, I've always kind of been interested in, like, fishing and hunting and all this stuff. But, like, I don't know. I don't have background. I don't know anybody that does it. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a lot of stuff to learn and, like, skills and, and rules and regulation of this, that, and the other. It's like, I, I don't know if I can do this. Like, it sounds cool, but I don't know if it's for me. It's a lot of stuff to learn. Right. Um, what, would you, what, what would you tell someone like that? What words of encouragement would you give them? I mean, the beauty of these days is there are so many resources available to learn, whether it's hunting or fishing. Um, you know, it's you can you can learn the basic steps of of either just by you know reading magazines uh you know youtube is an incredible resource these days you know obviously podcasts are i i, mean, I still i mean i've hunted my entire life and i still listen to different podcasts and pick up tips and tricks and and things like that i mean it's amazing that, which is what one of the things that i i think i'm so attracted to hunting and fishing is that it literally is a lifetime learning hobby or sport or whatever you want to call it that i still learn something new about animals i learn something new about fish the entomology of, of flies and things like that i mean it, it's incredible i feel so, like the more almost the more experienced you get the better you get at it the more you realize there is to learn like the guys you know you're kind of in this when you're in this like middle level you're like okay you know once i get to this point i'm kind of there you don't understand you don't know enough to understand there is yep. like an infinite amount more right. for you to learn. And I feel like the guys at the top almost understand that they almost have a sense of like how much more there is to learn way more than you yep. do when you're just starting out. hundred percent. Yeah. So, you know, if, if I was giving advice to somebody, I would say, get started with the basics, do your own homework and, and, and kind of get that foundation laid. But then whether it's taking some type of class, you know, if it's on the hunting side, go take your hunter's education and, and get that, uh, kind of under your belt and then find a mentor, you know, whether it's joining a, a TU, uh, chapter and just finding other people that you can go fishing with, uh, to, you know, just your internet meetup groups, um, whether it's on Facebook or just meetup stuff like that. Um, or just start a podcast and like ask, and <laughs> just, just show up places right. and be like, Hey, guess what we're doing? <laughs> right. We're talking and we're fishing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, that they both that that is a cool thing about hunting and fishing in general though is that they both have very good communities and there are usually people willing to share their knowledge and to teach you so you know you might have to find the right person to do that but they're out there so and take I mean, advantage I've, of it i think i've said it a million times i don't know a single angler or hunter that if you like were genuine about it and you're like hey, hey man i just kind of want to talk hunt with you and like learn a little mm-hmm. bit of stuff from you. I don't, I, 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 hunters and anglers are the worst about wanting to talk about the <laughs> crap they love. Are you kidding me? Like, I, I mean, I know specifically for myself, I've made several people regret asking questions before. <laughs> right. <laughs> Four hours later. Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah, that was a really awkward date. Uh, anyway. No, I mean, I've, I've, had multiple people, not only on the fishing side, but also on the hunting side. And for me, I mean, it's such a joy to take people out that, that literally have a clean slate and don't know what to expect. And just showing them the excitement of, you know, whether it's a big bull coming in or, or just any animal, you know, if, if you're out hunting and you just even see an animal, you don't even have to have a harvest or take a shot, but just to have a, have an animal come close to you and they they don't know that you're there there's something pretty unique about that that mm-hmm. you you just can't get that type of experience from you know going to a national park and sitting in a car looking at animals or something like that like there's just something more intimate about it that you know that you've tricked the senses of that animal and and uh you've shared something special with it so mm-hmm. 
being able to show that type of experience to new hunters is, has been pretty fun. I've, I've done that a few times already with, with people that wanted to get into hunting and asked me to, to take them and, and kind of just show them the ropes. And I think it's great. Yeah, there's a there's a special authenticity and depth to it mm-hmm. that's not present. Like, definitely not when you're, you know, you got the family in the truck right. and you're, you're cruising by and you see, like, the elk asleep 10 feet from the road there. Yep. But, yeah, there it's – even you don't even get that when hiking. No. Like, uh-uh. it's just – it's – an I, I probably talked about this a million times. Everyone's probably rolling their eyes at me because I'm saying it again. <laughs> but it's – yeah, it's it's being a part of it versus being an observer yeah absolutely that's a great way to say it yep so uh folks want to check out all the gear find you online follow along see all the remaining pronghorn hunts (laughs) right what uh where can they find you online yeah, so uh, actually pretty easy to find. Uh, you know, our website is uh, basinandbend.com, all written out. Uh, on Instagram, it's basinandbend, and on Facebook, it's basinandbend. Um, those are probably our most popular uh, or most active channels. Uh, also on YouTube, do some videos up there, too, um, under basinandbend, too. So keep awesome. it simple. So pretty much type basin and bend anywhere. Yep. And you'll find it. <laughs> so where does I uh, explain the name really quick before we go? Uh, so the thought was, you know, just because of the hunting and fishing aspect of it, you know, thinking of the basin of, you know, if you're up high in an alpine basin hunting and then the bend of a river. There you uh, go. So kind of combine those two and, and uh, yeah, that focus, focus on on what we love and those those are the places we like to be so awesome well i'll make sure to link to all of that on the show notes page glad we finally got to really sync up again and uh sit down chat get a little fishing done you bet it was fun all right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. 